Okay, so this morning I'm going to be talking about how do we become doers of the word. I think that in the church, um, for those of us who attend church or have grown up in the church, we often know some of the behaviors that we should be doing as Christians, and maybe the way kind of that we should be living our lives. Um, and a perfect example of this is the Ten Commandments, right? That's the... Uh, the, the benchmark that if someone thinks, what should Christians be doing? Well, we should be following the Ten Commandments. But sometimes it might feel like we're on the Ten Commandment treadmill, you know, just trying to follow God's commands and do what he wants. Um, and we might not feel like we're really getting anywhere. And so I want to talk today about how we become doers of the word. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. And um, I think that this passage will help us to understand what it means to become doers of the word. Um, so I'll be making three points this morning and that I think James makes on this. Um, they're not comprehensive points. They're not in a specific order that they must take place in your life, but I think that they are helpful. And then we'll be looking at uh, some examples of what this looks like in real life that James will, uh, James will show us in this passage. So I think the first thing that we should look at is just the context, right? We're going to be reading from the book of James, which is written by James's, James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, this book was written about 10 to 15 years after the death of Christ, and it was written to Jewish Christians in the church. And some conflict had entered into the church at this time, and James was looking to address this in his letter. And he's going to be tying, one of the big themes of his letter is the royal law, and he talks about it a bit in chapter 2, which we won't get to today, but really it's love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's some of the context. And so we're going to, I'm going to read this here. I'm going to have it on the screen. We're going to be reading out of the NIV version, uh, James chapter one, verse 19. We'll start. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So let's jump to the first few verses there, and we'll look at them in more detail. Verse 19 was, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So I think if we look at this, we can see James starts the section with some good practical instruction for us. He says, we need to be listeners, we need to think about what we speak before we say it, and we need to be slow to anger. So the question I think for us this morning is, which of us here are good, good listeners who are slow to speak and are slow to get angry? As I was preparing this, I was thinking to a few days ago, um, Claire bought this nice big salad bowl from Winners, okay? So I was serving the salad, you know, preparing. I was like, wow, this is a really nice bowl. Where did you get it? She's like, oh, I got it from Winners. You know, you can get great stuff there. I said, great. She's like, it's $15. 
It was even made in Portugal. And I said, wow, this is a really nice salad bowl. And then she said, I told you all of this last week. And I said, oh, okay. I probably thought I was listening to her last week when she was talking to me. But clearly I wasn't listening to her. And even today I'll be talking to some of you after we uh, do the service. And I'll be trying my best to listen to you. And who knows, I probably forget half of it. I try my best. I don't have a very good memory. I'll just be honest. And you might think, well... You know, the good thing, this doesn't happen to me. I got a very good memory, and uh, I have this part down. But it's not just about listening to one another. It's also about listening to God, right? How about following Jesus and living our life in all the ways that he's asked us to? That's, that's really what's important. But we're going to go into this more as we read the passage, so let's, let's continue. Um, so secondly, James tells us to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And so I think we should clarify here. He's not talking about righteous anger. He's not talking about being upset about injustice that happens in the world. But what he is talking about is, uh, there's a Greek word that's used. It's uh, orge. And in this context, what it means is a deep internal resentment about something. Um, it's more of a selfish anger that's me-focused. And, you know, this can arise in our lives from something small, like maybe we feel mistreated by a store employee. That happens to me a lot. Um, or it could be something more serious, maybe like feeling ignored by someone that we care about, or perhaps even being angry at God when we feel like our life isn't going the way we want. Um, and sometimes we've even prayed about our life and think it doesn't go the way we want. And, um, it, it, it James addresses this. And I think these are all, we can all agree. These are, these are good practical things that he's telling us, uh, about in this, in this letter, but, um, they're not that serious, right? Like, this is just listening, you know, being slow to speak. This isn't like, we're not murdering here. We're not stealing, hopefully, you know, we're not committing adultery. We're, like, this is, this is smaller stuff, right? But I think the thing we have to look at is what is our standard? And James tells us, he says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So our standard is not what our standard is for ourselves. It's what God's standard is for our lives. And so what does that look like? What is the, the standard that God has looked for us? And I think that Jesus tells us this. If we go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, we're going to read, what, is, what does Jesus have to say about the standard uh, for our lives? So we'll read it here together. You have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subjected to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subjected to judgment. And whoever insults a brother will be brought before the council, and whoever says fool will be sent to fiery hell. So then, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your gift. Reach agreement quickly with your accuser while on the way to court, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the warden, and you'll be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus says here that being angry with their brother, someone else, fellow Christian, means that we are liable to being sent to hell. That's, that's, that's serious. Wow. So a question for us, are any of us angry or upset with one another this morning? If so, we need to bring this before God, right? Jesus is telling us to be reconciled to one another. And even when I was preparing this sermon, uh, God spoke this to me about someone in my life that I needed to you know, move past some things and forgive. And um, so I think, um, you know, if we think about it, 
Why is it so serious? It's because God is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy, right? And um, something that's really small to us, sin that's really small to us, is very serious, very serious to God relative to how perfect and holy that he is. We've all been made in God's image, and we're loved and we're valued by God. And so when we sin against one another, we are we are sinning against God. And something that helps me wrap my mind around that is if you think in the medieval times, a king, you know, the king of England, if you did something wrong against them or said something wrong against them, you could easily be put to death, right? And if we think about God, he's even more powerful, more important. He's the creator of us. And so it's even more serious when we sin against him. So God's standard for our lives is that we emulate his righteous character, which means conducting our life by the will of God according to his standards. So the first point today on how do we become doers of the word I think we need to understand what God's standard for our life is, because it's a lot different than what our own standard is. So once we understand what God's standard is, what's our response to be? James continues in verse 21. He says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So our response should be, we need to turn away from all all the... Excuse me. To turn away from all the filthiness and wrong behavior, all the sin in our lives, we're to turn away from it. That should be our response, right? But how do we do this? That's the question. We can admit, you know, we can admit, okay, this is a good thing. You know, I do need to turn away from the sin in my life. I do need to live more righteously. It is God's standard, so I should try it, right? You could be here this morning. You might not even be a Christian, and you could be saying, you know, I really do need to do better. I need to live a better, more righteous life, you know, yeah, James is right. I do need to do better. But uh, let's talk a little bit about trying to do better. Um, in the United States, there's 34 million smokers. A recent study found that 70% of these people are trying to quit. They want to quit. And sorry, half of them tried last year. So most people that smoke, they would like to quit. A large portion of them try. What percent were successful in quitting smoking? Six percent, only six percent. And unfortunately, many of these people will will relapse with time. So uh, the question is, what's more difficult? Is it quitting smoking or is it turning away from all the wrongdoing that we commit and the wrongful attitudes in our life, however small they might be? And I don't know about you guys, but I've tried, tried to just do better and it hasn't, hasn't worked for me. I don't know. Have any of you guys been more successful here this morning? No? Okay. You were all in the same boat then. So I think that focusing on doing better is not going to work for us. Um, Thomas Akempis, he was a monk in the 14th century, and I think he had it figured out when he said, Be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. Let's read that one more time and think about it. Don't be angry that you cannot make other people how they want to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. I think if we think about the things that we tried, it's very difficult to change. Very difficult. So if simply trying to do better is not going to work for us, what will, what will work for us? And James tells us, he says, humbly accept the word that we have received, which will save us. Humbly accept the word that we have received. So what is the word? The word is the gospel message. The word is God created us to be in a relationship with him. However, we've all turned from God. We want to live for ourselves not for him. We want to put ourselves first. We don't want to be accountable to God. Uh, we've rebe- ultimately, we've rebelled against God. We've re- and we've talked about how perfect he is, how holy he is. He's a perfect, holy, creator, king, and we've rebelled against him, and that rebellion deserves death. 
And in Romans 3, we read, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've, we've all fallen short of what God's standard is. But the but is that we read in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life for us that we can't live. And then he took the punishment death that we deserved. And that whichever of us turn from our sin to follow him, we trust him, we'll be saved, and we'll be forgiven. So this is the word that we need to accept this morning. And we have to accept it with humility. Because we're all the same, we're all in the same boat here this morning. We're all sinners and we all deserve death. But, and God's rescue of us is completely undeserved. It's because God is gracious, he's loving, and he's merciful. And that's why he's offered us this. And if we continue in Romans 3, it says, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so I think the thing is that if we accept this, but we try to apply it without humility, without humbleness, knowing what our condition is as people that really need God, the word will be ineffective in our lives, right? So if we think that we're better than others because we're Christians, because we know the gospel message, we've heard it before, and we're, we're saying, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm good. And we look at other people that aren't, and we say, well, I'm more self-righteous. I, I have better morals. I, how do people live like this? You know, my life, I, I really live to this higher bar. And we have some uh, arrogance about ourselves because we think we live better lives than other one, everyone else. We're just fooling ourselves at the end of the day because we're not, we're not better. If we read Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? In Psalm chapter 14, we read, All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So the message is that none of us are inherently good. Okay, Because of our rebellion against God, we're all fully corrupting. Even our good deeds, if you think about it, even the good deeds we do, even if I try to help someone, I give some money to a homeless person, you know, I help someone out with something at church, even that is tainted by often an, uh, our selfish motives where we do it because it makes us feel good. Right? We do something nice for someone because part of it is because it makes us feel good. And, and, but for those of us who are Christians here who, and we're living our life, um, the changes that we've seen haven't come from ourselves. They've become from God because his spirit is living within us, is changing us. It's not because of our own power or our own goodness that we are doing better. It's solely because of God's work in our lives. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, we read, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So by God's spirit and power, he has changed us. He's given us a new heart for those of us that are, are following him. And um, without him, we're, we're all in the same boat. We're all just as bad as one, and one another. And that is why we have to receive the gospel with humility, with humble hearts. And it, so this is the second point this morning. To become doers of the word, to change, not only does it involve understanding of who God is and what his standard is, um, but it also requires us to accept the gospel message with humility. And you might be thinking this morning, okay, well, you know, I understand this message. Um, I, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I, I come to church here every Sunday. I come to church. I listen to Andrew. I listen to the worship team singing. I'm here every, every Sunday. What does James say next? He says in, in verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So this means that we have to act on the gospel message that we've received. If we just, if we come to church, we say we believe, 
who Jesus is, but we continue to live for ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves. And what does it mean when James says that we're deceiving ourselves? We're deceiving ourselves. We're thinking that we're Christians when we really aren't. And that's, that's serious, right? James, he uses an analogy. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. So how can someone forget forget their face in a mirror, right? Like, how is this how is this relevant to us today? Well, let's remember James's audience when he wrote this letter. It was first century Christians. And mirrors were a luxury item back then, right? Most people didn't have nice mirrors like we do in all of our bathrooms where we can look at ourselves. So if you were so fortunate that you could look at your face in a mirror, um, it wouldn't be difficult to remember all the details of your face, right? Because you're not going to see your face very often. Um, and if you want to remember, you know, all your wrinkles... If you have any pimples, your gray hair coming in. If you want to remember all the details of your face uh, with clarity, you'd have to work hard to remember what you had seen when you when you did get the chance to look in a mirror. And so this is the same with the gospel message. We can hear the gospel, but if we don't act on it and then decide to change the direction of our lives to live it, to loving and serving Christ first, we're merely just deceiving ourselves if we think we're Christians. If we just look at the mirror and go our own way, we're, we're not. And so we need to look at our lives. Uh, we have to look, do, has our, have our lives changed since we've become Christians? Or do we just live the same as those people that, that don't follow Jesus? Does our faith generate fruit of good works? And so Paul tells us in Romans 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So being a doer, it means offering our lives to God as a sacrifice. Um, you know, we, we praise the Lord here on Sunday mornings. You know, we saw, sang a lot of really good words this morning. We said, you are my king. But if, if we don't actually mean it, if, we, if we're just living our lives uh, uh, for ourselves and not for God, they're just hollow words, right? They don't reflect the truth that we've received. But we have to remember, the important thing we have to remember is that the acting, the change in our life, it doesn't come from our own willpower, Right? Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit and Christ living inside us empowers us to change when we make the decision to put him first in our lives and follow him. So to become a doer of the word, we need to act by making Christ the center of our lives and seeking to serve him before ourselves. And if we aren't willing to do this, we really just don't believe what Scripture is teaching us here. And and so when we hear this, we might think, well, you know, I am trying, Braden, I'm trying, I'm truly following Jesus but I just, I don't feel like I'm maybe measuring up the way that I should. But James, he helps us with this. He helps us with, the, us with this in the, in this, and if we go to verse 25, we'll read, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The perfect law that gives freedom. Seems like a, a paradox, right? Because law implies restraint. And therefore, a lack of freedom. But that's not the case with God's law. His perfect law does provide freedom, and we're going to talk about why. Uh, In John chapter 8, Jesus says, Hold on to my teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the perfect law is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's freeing because he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And his righteousness is imputed onto us when we choose to follow him. And this is what gives us freedom. We, we can't perfectly obey God's laws, right? We're on the same boat, but his righteousness is imputed onto us because he's done it for us. 
He, li- he lived the perfect life that we should be living, and then he took the punishment that we all deserve, death, uh, so that we don't have to take that punishment. And, and why is that? Because he loves us, and he wants to be in relationship with us. And that's the important thing. He loves us. He wants to be in relationship with us. Even though we're imperfect and we have imperfections, he still loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. So I think it's important uh, to remember then that if we're following Christ, we are going to stumble, right? We are going to stumble. The Apostle Paul talks about struggling with sin. However, the difference is that when we put our, our faith in Christ and we choose to follow him, we've been forgiven of our sin. We have been forgiven of the sin in our past and the sin in our future. And so we have to remember, remember that. We become joined with Christ when we become Christians and we're adopted as children of God. And so we were rescued from death because of his love for us. And so that has to be our motivator. Our motivator for living now needs to be our love for God. And um, we have to remember, he loved us, and he demonstrated that love for us when he died for us on the cross for our sins. And so I think Augustine sums this up really well when he says, the key to life change is not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. So if we want to, if we're, if we're set on changing, it's not about just willing change for our lives. It's, it's the love of our heart. And when the love of our heart changes to become Christ, instead of living for ourselves, that's what results in the change in our life. And, and God empowers us to do that. And, and James mentions in the, in this verse, he says, um, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So we receive blessing when we follow Christ. And, the reason the law gives us freedom is because rather than restriction is when we serve Christ, we're free from being slaves to the sin in our life where we're deserving death. Um, and, and that sin is holding us back from being the person that God has destined us all to be. God's destined us to be a different person in him than we are on our own. And we have freedom in that. And that's our blessing here. Paul tells us in Romans, he says that we need to work at our salvation, but... We can rest in Christ's finished work on the cross, the fact that he already took the punishment for the sin that we're going to commit as we do so. And so this is the third point this morning, is that we need to rest in Christ's finished work on the cross and let our love for him and what he's done motivate our actions towards him and towards others. So what does this look like in practice? We're going to continue with verse 26. James says, Those who consider themselves religious... And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So James summarizes this for us. He says, the person whose life does not change, with no change to their speech, yet claims to be a Christian, they're not actually a Christian. <clears throat> the religion that God accepts is meaningful actions that result from our heart changing. And this means having compassion and loving others. And James talks about the poor and the widows. And this, this really hit home for me as I was preparing is the, the poor and the widows. Do I think or do enough for the poor? Do we here think enough about the poor? Do we do enough for the poor? What do we do? And what are we going to do about this? And that's something we should think about this week. What are, what are we going to do about this? But it's not just the poor, right? How about outside of this? How about the unsaved people, the people that need Jesus that are around us? You know, there's, there's people that really bug us, maybe at work or at school. There's people that kind of get on our, in our, on our nerves, right? But what they really need to hear about is Jesus, right? That's what's going to change them. And the question is, do we share Jesus with other people? Do we share the good news? Even small conversations, right? It's difficult to give the whole gospel presentation to someone in a sitting and, you know, be, 
beat them over the head with a hammer of the gospel. But it's just those little things, right? Those little conversations showing genuine interest and love in someone's life. And that can lead to greater things, right? Um, and so we got to remember, Jesus had compassion on the prostitutes, the, collect- the tax collectors, the people that society detested. That's who Jesus had compassion on. And so we need to have compassion on other people. And not, not just the people that bug us, but even our own family and friends often <coughs> need compassion, especially when they let us down, right? Um, James talks about us being unpolluted by the world. So the world today is a little bit different than the world in the first century, right? In the first century, it was a polytheistic world, generally speaking, where people serve many different idols and gods. You maybe have different idols in your house, or you go to the temple, and you go to different idols and gods, and you would, you would offer sacrifice or worship them, and hopefully that, that idol would deliver to you what you want in, in your life. And we might not have idols in our home like that, little statues, or we might not go into the temple. You're here this morning, so you're probably not going to a temple worshiping idols right now, but you might be. But either way, uh, we have different, I think a lot of us have different idols in our life. And so how about prioritizing things ahead of God, like money, for example, or career and success, or uh, being thought highly of, either you know, in terms of position or our attractiveness to other people? We have, we have different idols that we can put in our life ahead of serving God. And so I think the thing is, these things aren't going to satisfy us. We're not going to feel satisfied when this is what we're living for. Um, and we might feel like, okay, well, I have this part down. You know, I really am seeking to serve Christ here. Um, but ultimately, am I living my life to please myself? There's little decisions too, right? And this, this hits home for me. Are we watching things that we know we shouldn't be watching that don't honor God? Or are we listening to music or things that we know really don't honor God? Do we laugh or, t- or tell crude jokes, you know, at work? So God says, be holy for I am holy. And how am I living my day, day, my life day in and day out? And it, honestly, it really did hit home for me on some of the things that maybe I've been saying that I shouldn't in my life. And so, uh, I, so what does this all really look like then? I think that James is telling us that a true response to God's word involves both outward activity and inward control. So he talks about ministry to orphans and widows being the outward activity and separation from the world being evidence of inward control. But what we've been talking about is we can't do this perfectly, right? So what does this mean? We're all sin- we're all in the same boat here. We're all sinners that we need God's grace. But the good news is that God has loved us and he's offered this to us. And so for those of us here who have decided to accept the gift of life that Christ has offered for us, um, we can we can rest we can sleep soundly at night. We can rest in the fact that he's taken that punishment of death for us on our behalf. And we can live out our lives for him out of gratitude and love for what he's done. And we can rejoice in that. Uh, there might be some other people here this morning and you realize maybe I've been a hearer of the word. I haven't been a doer of the word. And I can relate to this. This is me for most of my life. I, I grew up in the church, but this was me for most of my life. I was a hearer of the word. I was not a doer of the word. It was easy to come to church on a Sunday morning with my parents and just hear and go and live my own life for the, for the rest of the week, especially in university um, when I did go to church. Um, but ultimately, being a Christian means we're, we're serving God, right? That's who we're serving, not my, not my own life. And, but the good news here is Christ is offering a real relationship with him today. Okay, uh, it's, and it's not driven by rule following. That's not what it's driven by. It's by us choosing to love and serve Him ahead of ourselves. And th- this decision to choose and, and to serve Him instead of ourselves will make us become do- uh, not just hearers but doers of the word. And there might be other people here this morning that 
uh, you might not accept this message this morning. You might think, well, you know, my life is turning out fine just living my own way. Or maybe I just want to involve God in a small portion of my life. Maybe just Sunday mornings. That's got, that's got enough for me. Um, but Paul says, if you think you're a Christian, you're deceiving yourself. And if you're not a Christian, uh, you need to be aware. God, he, God is offering us mercy. He's, he's offering all of us mercy this morning out of his love for us. But it's an offer that has an expiry on it. It's not going to last. There's going to be a judgment day. And the people that want to put themselves first and live for themselves will face eternal punishment. And the thing is, God is not going to, if you don't want to spend time with God here on this life, God is not going to force you in the next life. And so I'm not trying to scare anyone here, but I'm just saying this out of concern for you, that it's important to think about this. It's a warning that God gives us throughout Scripture. But the good, the good news this morning is that regardless of our life circumstance right now, we're all offered life today. We're all offered the same offer of life today. So in summary, uh, what is James showing us in this passage? I, I think firstly, um, we need to understand the righteousness of God and what our current situation is. It helps to grasp our need for him. Uh, we have to humbly accept the message. We can't just ex- accept it and think, oh, I'm doing good, I've accepted it, and you know, I'm in a better spot than other people. No, we're all in the same boat. We need to humbly accept it. And, and this means more than just hearing it. Our responsiveness to this revelation must be coupled with a new approach to life. And thirdly, our life must be about serving God first and not ourselves. And this has to be driven by our love for him and for what he's done. We have to offer our lives to him. And so we looked at what this looks like in practice. There's outward changes to our life. How we love others is affected. And our, there's an inward change as well. And it's our... And it's our desires to please God mean that our internal decisions are going to be changed. And if the uh, worship team can come up now as a close. So I'd like to challenge everyone here with this. Um, if, you're, if you're a Christian and you're trusting God uh, and you're following Christ as your Savior, focus on, continue to focus on Christ and what he's done for you. You can rest in his finished work on the cross for you as you seek to serve him. And let's look for opportunities to love one another and to serve, right? Uh, this, this involves serving the church, serving each other, serving other people. And if you're not, pray for and seek opportunities to serve. There's, there's opportunities right here at New Life to serve the body of Christ. And so, please pray about that. And if you realize that you've simply been a hearer, then make the decision to become a doer this morning. Choose life instead of death. Choose to follow Christ with your life and serve him. And as James told us, Christ is the perfect law that gives us ultimate freedom, peace, eternal life, and reconciliation with God. So let's let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, giving us your word here that we can study and, and learn and hear directly from you. We just want to pray that you'll touch our hearts, that if we're doers and we're seeking to serve you, that we'll be encouraged by knowing what you've done for us and we'll be able to stay focused on you and your love for us. And if we're hearers and we haven't been doers, that we'll be able to, that you'll touch our hearts so that we can change and make a decision to put you first in our life. And if we're not Christians, that the same thing will happen, that you'll touch our heart and show us the reality that we live in. And it's, you are the reality and it's not just our own lives. And we just want to pray that uh, we'll all come away changed this morning. We just want to thank you. Thank you for sending Christ, your son, to die for us, for giving us new life. Amen.